Lord Jesus, be at the center of this service this morning. Through the fellowship, through the worship, through the teaching, and everything that's said and done, let you, Lord God, be at the center. Lord, we've gathered here in this place to teach people about you, to worship you, to love you, to obey you, to follow you. God, rapture our hearts, capture our hearts. Let us be enthralled with this relationship that we have with you, Lord God, through Jesus. Let us humbly surrender ourselves and give you everything, God, to love you, to trust you, to obey you. God, it's, it's not about long-faced religion, but it's about a personal relationship with you, a loving relationship, an awesome relationship, a living relationship by the Holy Spirit. Let that sink in deep this morning, Lord, as we now look at your word and you speak. You speak when we study your word. In Jesus' mighty name I pray. All God's people said, amen. Amen. You may have a seat if you're able, because I'm about ready to tell the worship team, let's keep going. That's just beautiful, beautiful, beautiful worship. Praise the Lord. So, um, praise the Lord. It's great to see you guys this morning. Me and Irene started binge-watching this show called Alone. Has anybody ever heard of it? Okay, that is an amazing show, by the way. I'm confessing, we've been watching way too much of it. But in this show alone, it's on Discovery and History Channel. They need to give me something. I just gave a plug for it. But no, I'm just kidding. But uh, in this show, these people are dropped off in the wilderness, specifically Vancouver Island up in, uh, up in Canada, and they have to live on the land. And it is extreme, this extreme situation they're in where they have to survive off the land. They have to eat their own snails, fish, or whatever. And as you're watching each documentary, each, it's not documentary, each show, because it is a reality show, you're thinking, who's going to win? Who's going to win? I think they're going to win. Man, they, 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 that couple, they, that person, they look like they're not going to make it because they, they, they can't find, catch enough fish. You know, and this person over here is not feeling good because they ate some seaweed and they're getting sick. And it's this really intense show. But you're kept on the edge of your seat watching the show alone because you're wondering, Who's going to win? And so we're, we're, we just finished uh, our third or fourth season last night. We'll probably start the fourth or fifth season this week, even though Irene did tell me last night, all right, we got to take a break from alone. We're watching it way too much. But the point of the show is you're wondering who's going to win, who's going to survive and get the half a million dollars, because that's the ultimate goal of, of surviving in this show. Fortunately, praise the Lord, we are looking at the winner this morning. We're looking at the winner of eternity. We're looking at the winner of time. We're looking at the one who's going to win everything. And his name is Jesus. If you've ever seen a bumper sticker, or you, maybe you've heard a believer say, well, we know who wins in the end, you're going to understand the meaning this morning behind that phrase, who's going to win in the end. We've read, as we've, people have said, we've read the end of the book. We know who wins. We know who triumphs. And his name is Jesus. 
So y'all ready to look at how the Lord Jesus Christ wins in the end? Turn in your Bibles this morning to Revelation chapter 19. If you like eschatology, you are in the right place this morning. If you don't know what eschatology means, eschatology is a, is a word that means last things or the last days. Yes, we have been studying the book of Revelation for six months, but this morning we're looking at Armageddon and the second coming of Christ. At the second coming of Christ. Now, I got to put a few things in place before we get into our verse by verse study. Because when people start talking about the return of Christ, there's actually two events. There's actually two future events. And sometimes people get them mixed up. Some people, you know, they talk about the rapture of the church. They talk about the second coming. But what I want to do this morning before we get into our verse-by-verse study, I want to separate in your minds this, what the Scripture says is the difference between the rapture and the second coming. Okay? So I got up on the screen so you can follow me. But the, the Bible says in the future there will be two, two uh, events where Christ returns to the earth. The first one is called the rapture. The second one is called the, the second coming or the coming of Christ. The rapture verses is found in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 15 through 18, John chapter 14, verses 1 through 3, and 1 Corinthians chapter 15. The second coming doctrine, scripture, is found in Revelation chapter 19, verses 11 through 21. And now what I want to do real quick is I'm just going to summarize and give you some brief statements. You can go back and study them, but I want to separate them in your mind for the purpose of our study this morning. So the first one is the rapture and the second coming. The first difference is this. At the rapture, Jesus comes with or on the clouds, okay? He stops in the air the trumpet sounds, the dead in Christ are, are raised, and we are taken up to heaven, okay? At the second coming, Jesus doesn't come by himself. He comes on a white horse, and you'll find this in Revelation chapter 19. And in, when he comes on a white horse, according to Zechariah, he descends all the way to the earth, and he stands on the Mount of Olives. The second difference between the rapture and the second coming is at the rapture, Jesus takes believers to heaven. In the twinkling of an eye, bam, we're out of here. We'll be in the new Jerusalem, the third heaven, the holy city. We'll be celebrating the marriage supper of the Lamb that, that we talked about last week. That's the rapture. At the second coming, so at the rapture, Jesus takes believers to heaven. At the second coming, Jesus returns with believers. And you're going to see that in our verse-by-verse study this morning. The third difference between the rapture and the second coming, is Jesus comes as the bridegroom. Jesus comes as the bridegroom for his bride at the rapture. He's coming for believers in Christ, those who have put his trust in him, and he's coming as a bridegroom. Whereas the second coming, he's coming as what? The king of kings and the lord of lords. Number four, at the rapture, Jesus comes with reward for believers you know, heaven, a new body, eternal life, our reunion. We will no longer walk by faith. We will be with our Lord and Savior. At the second coming, however, which is not the rapture, Jesus returns to judge the Antichrist, the false prophet, and the ungodly world. Another difference between the rapture and the second coming is uh, the rapture takes place at the beginning of the Great Tribulation. The second coming 
takes place three and a half years after the desecration of the temple or seven years after the beginning of the great tribulation. So the second coming, is clearly the scripture lays out, it's a marked event, but we're waiting for the tribulation to start. We're waiting for the desecration of the temple, and then we'll know exactly when the second coming, but we won't be here. But the rapture is, uh, it takes place at the beginning. And finally, between the rapture and the second coming, the rapture is imminent. The rapture of the church is imminent. It could happen at any moment. It could happen before I finish this message I'm teaching. He could come at any moment. Whereas the second coming, as I said a while ago, it will happen at the end of the great tribulation or seven years from the beginning or three and a half years from the uh, desecration of the temple. So this morning, family, the rapture column is reward, okay? It's he's coming for his church. He's coming for his believers. The second coming is uh, judgment. It's judgment at the end of the great tribulation. So that's what we're studying this morning. We are not studying the rapture of the church. We are studying the second coming of Christ that takes place at the end of the great tribulation. I hope you're following me. So with that said, let's pray and we'll get into our text this morning. Father God in heaven, thank you, Lord, for your word. Lord, as we study it this morning, teach us, lead us, guide us, direct us, be glorified. And Lord, Lord, let us let this text bring us joy. Let it bring us excitement, knowing that one day your rule and your righteousness will prevail in the world. So we love you, praise you. In Jesus' mighty name. Amen. All right. Revelation chapter 19, verse 11 says, And I saw heaven opened up, and behold, a white horse. And he who sat on it is called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he judges and wages war. Now the first thing it says there in verse 11, it says, I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse. A white horse were for warrior kings in Bible times. They led armies into battle, okay? And that's exactly what's going to happen at the second coming of Christ, the Lord Jesus Christ, being the warrior king, is going to get on his white horse and he is going to lead the armies of heaven to come down to earth to destroy the Antichrist, the false prophet, and the evil government, the one world system that has set, been set up. Okay? A lot, you know, just a little side note too, this is not the meaning of the text, but a lot of times, especially children will ask me, Pastor David, will there be animals in heaven? I say yes. I yes, right there. He's on a white horse. A horse is an animal. I believe there will be animals in heaven. And that's not the purpose of the text. I understand that. But still, there's, he's coming back on a white horse. And, and we're going to see you guys also are going to be coming back on a white horse. But yes, I would say there are animals in heaven, on heaven. And then it says, he who sat on it is called faithful and true. I love this verse. I remember the first year I got saved, I was at a, a church conference in Virginia Beach at Bethel Temple, and I remember Pastor Ron talk, quoting this verse, faithful and true, and this is what he did. He looked out across the church, all these pastoral churches, he said, this is why we hold to the authority and the inspiration of Scripture. Why? Because he's coming back again, and he will be faithful and true. Friends and family, you can bank your life on it. God will be faithful and and true to every promise in his word. He'll be faithful and true to every promise he has made to you. He'll be faithful and true to complete 
everything, every dot, every, every word of this book, he will be faithful. He will be faithful to his word. Amen? But this describes who Jesus is. He's faithful to every promise. And the application for that is you can trust and believe in Jesus. Okay? He's the real deal. You can not only believe in him, but you can trust him with all your life. This is not religion. This is reality because he's faithful and true. And then notice at the end of verse 11, he says, in righteousness, he judges and wages war. That part of the verse alone right there separates this very clearly from the doctrine of the rapture. Okay? The rapture, he's coming for the bride. Uh, 1 Thessalonians 4, verses 15 through 18. Here, it says it right there. In righteousness, he judges and wages war. He's not coming for salvation. That time at this point in the book of Revelation has expired. He's coming to execute judgment. Now you may ask, who's he coming to execute judgment on? If you flip back to Revelation chapter 16, verses 13 through 14 and 16, which I have it up on the screen for you, it it gives you details of who he's going to execute judgment against. Revelation chapter 16 says this, And I saw coming out of the mouth of the dragon and out of the mouth of the beast and out of the mouth of the false prophet three unclean spirits like frogs, and they are spirits of demons performing signs which go out to the kings of the whole world to gather them together for the war of the great day of God the Almighty. And they gathered them together to the place which in Hebrew is called Armageddon. Now, Armageddon is a valley And central Israel, it's a valley that's still there to this day. Many battles have been fought there. But during the Great Tribulation, under the leadership, under the leadership of the Antichrist and the false prophet, they're going to send out these evil spirits and it's going to gather this ten nation federation to come against the Lord Jesus Christ. The Battle of Armageddon, which we like to call it. By the way, when I first became a Christian, And I read this thing about Armageddon. The first thing I thought about was, hey, I know about this. But I didn't. It was a song I heard back in the the 80s by Death Leopard called Armageddon. And I thought I knew it. And I was like, oh, I know all about this. Until I read the Bible and I was like, oh, no, no, no. This has nothing to do with that. But this is the real Armageddon. The battle of Armageddon will be the final failed attempt to destroy Jesus Christ. That's what it is. The Antichrist and his evil world leaders will no doubt have heard the prophecies of the second coming. And the armies of a ten-nation federation under the leadership of the Antichrist will gather in the valley of Armageddon to destroy Christ at his coming. When it comes to fighting against God, what do you think the chances of success are? Zero. These... Their arrogance, their pride, the darkness this in the souls of the people of this one world government and the Antichrist and the false prophet, they think that they can take out God. That tells you how arrogant and prideful the world will be during the Great Tribulation. That tells you how steep in darkness they will be. Now, we already know what happens, but let's just ask the question. What happens? Let's continue to read and see what the the scripture tells us. Verse 12, 
He says, his eyes are a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems, and he has a name written on him, which no one knows except himself. I love this verse. It says, his eyes are a flame of fire. This speaks of the piercing vision of the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, you think about Jesus as a baby and, 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 and Mary looking into the eyes of baby Jesus and having this sweet, precious, beautiful face. And then you think about how he was marred at Calvary and how they looked at him and how he was just all beat to a bloody pulp. But now he has eyes that are a flame of fire. This speaks of his piercing vision. This speaks of his, of his holiness. And we need to remember that Christ sees on the inside, and he will not be fooled. He sees every thought and intent of your heart and my heart, and that should shake us to the core and make us get real before the Lord, knowing that his eyes see everything. But here, as he's getting ready to return to earth, his eyes are a flame of fire. His holiness has swelled up. He sees the evil that's taking place on planet earth, and he has to deal with it. And it says, on his head are many diadems. The crown of diadems, it represents his royalty, his kingship, his authority. The head that was once crowned with shame and dishonor by the crown of thorns at Calvary is now crowned with royalty, with majesty, with power and authority. This is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He's not coming back as a humble, meek servant. He's coming back as a warrior king, the text shows us. Verse 13, it says, He is clothed with a robe dipped in blood. Hmm, we've got to break this one down here. And his name is called the Word of God. Now, John, who's, who wrote the book of Revelation, is not talking about Jesus' blood here. What he's actually talking about here is the blood of his enemies that fight against him at the battle of Armageddon. Listen to what the prophet Isaiah said 700 years before Christ, 2,700 years ago. Isaiah the prophet said in Isaiah 63, verses 1 through 3, he says, Who is this who comes from Edom with garments of glowing colors of, from Basra, the one who is majestic in his apparel, marching in the greatness of his strength? It is I who speak in righteousness, mighty to save. Why is your apparel red and your garments like the one who treads on the winepress? I have trodden the wine trough alone, and from the people there was no man with me. I also trod them in my anger and trampled them in my wrath. And their lifeblood is sprinkled on my garments, and I, and I, stained, and I stained all my raiment. So this is a prophecy. What you need to understand is that there are over 350 Old Testament prophecies that point to the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus' entire life ministry can be seen in the Old Testament. Remember, the Old Testament pointed forward to Christ. The New Testament points us to the reality of who Christ is. And in the Old Testament, we see his birth, his life, his death, his resurrection, his return. And this morning we see in the Old Testament his future judgment. Okay? 
So the Armageddon and the coming of Christ is the fulfillment of Bible prophecy. I heard one preacher say one time that in every verse of the Old Testament, in every passage, look for Christ. Look for Jesus. Because it's all pointing to him and to his future ministry. Let's continue. Verse 14. He says, okay. All right, you ready for this, guys? If you're a believer in Christ, you're in the Bible. You're in Scripture. Has anybody ever told you that? Look at the very next verse. And the armies which are in heaven, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, were following him on white horses. So the question we have to ask ourselves in verse 14 is, who is he talking about? Who are the armies which are in heaven? Notice he says, clothed in fine linen, white and clean. Look in the same chapter. Look back up at verses 7 and 8. We looked at this last week. We studied the marriage supper of the Lamb. Look at verses 7 and 8. The same chapter, context. Verse 7 says, Let us rejoice and be glad and give the glory to him. For the marriage of the Lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. It was given to her to clothe herself in fine linen, bright and clean. For the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. So verse 7 and 8 indicate that in verse 14, these armies which are in heaven, because we just finished studying the marriage supper of the Lamb, is the body of Christ. It is you and I, family. It is you and I. At the rapture of the church, Christ takes his church up to heaven. They experience the marriage supper of the Lamb. They stand before the Bema seat of Christ. And then at the end of the great tribulation, you and I are coming back to earth with the Lord Jesus Christ. How many guys ever rode a horse? How many guys ever wanted to ride a horse, but maybe you haven't? That'd be me. <laughs> um, if you haven't, get ready. Because one day, you are going to be following your warrior king, the king of kings and the Lord of lords, the Lord Jesus Christ, as he leads this procession back to earth on a white horse. It says in verse 14, in the armies which are in heaven, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, the exact same phrase that's used in verse 7 and 8, were following him on white horses. How cool is that? Don't tell me Christianity is a boring religion. It's nothing but boring. It's exciting. It's awesome. It's mind-blowing. It's like, it's like Stephen Curtis Chapman said. It's the great adventure. It's amazing, and there's nothing that compares to it when you consider being a Christian and serving Christ and loving him and living for him and being a witness and sharing the gospel and not being down and dreary by what's going on, but being excited about the future. Because he wins in the end. And family, you and I are going to be coming with him on these white horses at the second coming. It's kind of scary in a way if you think about it. But it's true. Because the word of God says it's true. And we can trust in scripture. Verse 15. Verse 15 says, And from his mouth comes a sharp sword, so that with it he may strike down the nations. And he will rule them with a rod of iron. This is not the rapture. This is judgment. He may strike down the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron, and he treads the winepress of the fierce wrath of God the Almighty. 
Now, this is talking about this one world evil government that will rule and reign during the seven-year great tribulation that the false prophet and the, and the antichrist has ruled. They will be really bad, and he is going to set them in place. This is what's going to happen to them at the end of the great tribulation. King David wrote about this in the book of Psalm. Again, Psalm points to this future event. Psalm chapter 2, verses 1 through 6 and verse 9 says this, Why are the nations in an uproar and the people devising vain things? The kings of the earth take their stand and the ruler, rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, Let us tear their fetters apart and cast away their cords from us. He who sits enthroned in heaven laughs. The Lord scoffs at them. Then he will speak to them in his anger and terrify them in his fury, saying, But as for me, I have installed my king upon Zion, my holy mountain. You shall break them with a rod of iron, and you shall shatter them like earthenware. Again, these guys, this evil world order that rules during the great tribulation, they will have nothing. We're going to see in a little bit, Jesus is going to go, He's going to blow them out the water with the breath of his mouth. This is, uh, a matter of fact, we'll go there. 2 Thessalonians 2.8. 2 Thessalonians 2.8, Paul says this. He says, Then the lawless, that lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord will slay with the breath of his mouth and bring an end by the appearance of his coming. Now, I don't know about you, but I've, I've watched some Mike Tyson and Evander Holyfield fights. And in order for them to win, they, they had to land that knockout punch. I mean, they had to fight it out, and, and they had to go all at it in their fight to, to, to lay the other person out. But the Lord Jesus Christ is so great and so powerful, there will be no punch. He will take them out, what does it say? By the breath of his mouth. He will blow them away. There will be no fist punches. This will not be a fight. The Antichrist and the false prophet and these evil, this evil world government at the end of the Great Tribulation is going to get smoked. And nobody's going to be biting nobody's ear off. Okay? It's, it's going it's it's to be over. Because Christ rules and reigns over darkness, evil, and sin. You know, as I was thinking about this text, and I was thinking about their, their, their um, during the Great Tribulation, there will, there will be this war against God. There will be this war against God. And as I was thinking about this, this is the thought that I pondered in my devotional time this week and in my study time. And it is this. Each and every one of us, you and me, we all come into this world at war with God. Did you know that? We all come into this world at war with God. I have been at war with God. You have been at war with God. We want to do it our way. We, we fight against what we know is true. Let's be honest. We have all had bad theology at one point. We've all believed something that clearly goes against Scripture. I've been there. I have. I've had my mind and my heart firmly ingrained in something that was sinful, something that was wrong, and I knew what the scripture says, but I chose my way instead. In my ignorance, in, in, my, in my frailty, in my humanness, 
in my flesh, in my carnality. I chose to do my own thing. I chose to believe my own way. But family, here's the real crucible of, of true faith. And here it is. You read the Bible and it alone informs you of truth. It informs you what is true. The question is, once you read the Bible and you understand truth, do you believe what God says or do you believe what the world says? That's a decision that every single human being is confronted with. And friends and family, I'm here to tell you, real faith, biblical faith says this, Lord, I believe your word. I believe your word. Help my unbelief. Help me to believe you. Help me to trust you. Please change my heart. Lord, I believe your word. God's amazing grace and God's amazing love transforms your heart and my heart, our minds and our lives, when we say this, yes, Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. You know, it's, it's a fight. It's a struggle we all face in a fallen world. Are we going to believe what's true or are we going to believe the lie? And we need to say, Lord, I'm standing with you. I'm riding with you, God. Your word says this. I'm going to believe it in the 15,000 different areas of theology and life and practice. It's just simply believing what his word says. So again, we're at war with God when we come into this world. Jesus came to bring us peace with God. We're no longer an enemy, but we're born again. And then the process begins of our hearts being changed and our minds being changed as we study the Bible and we say, Lord, I believe your word. Help me to believe it with all my heart. Amen? Let's continue. Verse 16. Verse 16 says, And his robe, and on his robe, and on his thighs, he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. I love that. Just a beautiful title that we sing in worship songs. Maybe you've been in a church service before, and they sing, King of Kings and Lord of Lords, glory, hallelujah. Remember that one back in the 90s? Some of you guys remember that. But anyway, this is where they get it from. This is where they get it from, verse 16. And, and what's taking place in the context of the great tribulation, in the context of his return, Jesus is setting the record straight of who's in charge physically and literally. You see, there have been many kings and many lords throughout our world. Hundreds of nations ruled by many leaders. The United States is on what number president? 46. The United, the United States is on its 46th president of the United States. And let me tell you something. Just like with all the previous presidents, the presidents will come and the presidents will go. There's kings throughout the land. But here's the truth, family. There's only one king of kings. And there's only one Lord of lords. And his name is Jesus. Presidents come and go. Governors come and go. Powers and authorities come and go. But Hebrews chapter 13, verse 8 says, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Let's put our hope and trust and faith in the eternal king. 
the, the king who rules over the entire universe. You know, our president, he's just got one nation. And then all the presidents in the world, they got their one nation. The Lord Jesus Christ, the big king, he's got the whole universe. Every galaxy, every star, every planet, every single human being, he's got it all in the palm of his hands. He is the king of kings and the Lord of lords. Amen? Um, Verse 17, verse 17. He says, then I saw an angel standing in the sun. Man, so this angel is standing in the sun. And imagine when you look at the sun, what is it you can't do? You can't look at it for very long because it'll blind you. And I think angels are like the same. Their glory, their brilliance, their majesty as they shine, because they've been in the presence and the glory of God, they are shining forth. So it's the same way, this bright, magnificent angel standing in the sun. He, verse 17, he cries out with a loud voice saying to all the birds which fly in mid-heaven, come assemble for the great supper of God. Mm, This is going to get ugly. Verse 18, so that you may eat the flesh of kings and the flesh of the commanders and the flesh of mighty men and the flesh of horses and those who sit on them and the flesh of all men, both free man and slave, small and great. Again, end of the great tribulation, this evil world empire, this ten-nation federation that will come together will be humiliated and defeated at a place called the Valley of Armageddon there in central Israel, right between Haifa and, and Jerusalem, this large valley. They will gather there, and they will be blown away. If you have a weak stomach, I apologize, but it's going to be blood and guts. It's going to be blood and guts, Because the vultures, according to the text, are going to feast. They're going to feast. Revelation 14.20 adds to this. It says, uh, Revelation 14.20, And the wine press was trodden outside the city, and the blood came out from the wine press up to the horse's bridles for a distance of 200 miles. So they're going to gather there in the valley of Armageddon, and it's going to be mayhem as the Lord Jesus Christ. There's not even going to be a battle. It's not even going to be a fight. You know, you're fighting against God, and he's going to wipe them out with the breath of his mouth. He's going to, ru- he's going to level their evil plans, their, their one world order. He's going to take them completely out, and then this angel is going to call in the vultures to clean it all up. Man, that's going to be tough. That's going to be a tough sight. But what does the Bible say about sin? The wages of sin is what? death. The wages of sin is death. Verse 19, let's continue. And he says, and I saw the beast and the kings of the earth and their armies assembled to make war against him who sat on the horse and against his army. It's like a summary. Verse 20, and the beast was seized and with him the false prophet who performed the signs in his presence by which he deceived those who had received the mark of the beast and those who worshipped his image, these two were thrown alive into the lake of fire, which burns with brimstone. So the, the beast, which remember what the beast was? The Antichrist and the false prophet, they're going for a swim. But it's not going to be in the pool. It's not going to be in the water. It's going to be in the lake of fire. So they, they're going in for a hot bath. 
And, and it's, they, they're going to be thrown into the, the lake of fire, which burns with brimstone. That word brimstone, if you look it up, it means uh, uh, hot flash. It, it, it signifies hot flash. It's going to be very hot as they are thrown into the lake of fire, hell for all eternity. Verse 21, and the rest were killed with the sword which came from the mouth of him who sat on the horse. There it is. We talked about that a while ago. The Lord Jesus Christ with the breath of his mouth, the sword, the, the, the word of God is, is going is to slay the, this evil world's army and all the birds were filled with their flesh. And the birds are going to be filled up. They will have no problem taking care of these armies. At the second coming, summarizing this, Jesus returns on a white horse and completely obliterates the Antichrist, the false prophet, and, the arm, and their evil armies at the battle of Armageddon there in Israel. In their satanic inspired plan, the Antichrist fails in his attempt to overthrow Christ. They actually come together and think that they could take out Christ. I think during the Great Tribulation, there will be people that maybe know the Bible that, 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 and that reference this second coming. But maybe they didn't read all the Bible. Maybe they just read the parts about the second coming, but they didn't see the defeat. So they hear that he's going to come again. They hear that it's going to happen at the seven-year mark. So what do they do? They, they prepare for his coming, and they make a very stupid mistake. As Justin Edens would say on Lone Star Law, which is another one of my favorite shows, as Justin Edens says on Lone Star Law, play stupid games, win stupid prizes. It will be a lopsided victory. No overtime, no tie, no recount. The victory will be sealed by the Lord Jesus Christ himself. The Lord Jesus Christ wins in the end, family. You want, you want to be on a winning team? Do you want to be on a winning team? I don't, I don't like seeing people. I don't like being on a losing team. Whether I'm playing sports or, 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 or watching alone, you know, and pulling for someone, I don't like to lose. I, I want to be on the winning team. And in the winning team of life, if you want to be on the winning team in life, trust and believe in Christ because he wins in the end. You want to be victorious in life? Believe in Jesus. You want to be more than a conqueror in life? Believe in Jesus. You want to defeat the demons of darkness that try to take you out? Believe in Jesus. And you ready for this one? You want to ride with the armies of heaven on white horses in the future eternal event called the second coming of Christ? You want, you want to be a part of that? Believe in Jesus. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Put your trust in him and you will be with the Lord Jesus Christ. In the end, here it is, family, Jesus wins. Jesus wins 
for all eternity. Okay? The world loses. Sin loses. Satan loses. Darkness loses. But the Lord Jesus Christ and his eternal kingdom that's going to come from above will last forever and ever. Amen? Amen. Live for him. Serve him. And, when you, and remember that believing in Christ, trusting in Christ, living for Christ, you will be on the winning team because he is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Maybe you're here this morning and you're not a Christian. Maybe you're here this morning and you're not sure. And you say, Pastor David, what do I do? What must I do to be saved? It's simple. It's, it's, it's a simple process, but it's not always easy to do. It's simply this. You repent of your sins. You say, Lord Jesus, please forgive me of my sin. Please forgive me of my lying, my lusting, my adultery, my, all, the, all the evil I've done in my life, all the sin I've done in my life. Please forgive me, God. I repent. I turn away from it. And Lord Jesus, I put my trust in you. I no longer trust in myself, but I trust in you, Lord Jesus. And you pray to receive him as your Lord and your Savior. Repent, believe, and receive, and you will win in the end with the Lord Jesus Christ, because Christ wins. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father God in heaven, thank you, Lord, for this study of Revelation chapter 19, the battle of Armageddon and the second coming. Father, we don't fear eschatology. We don't fear the the subjects, the things that we study in the book of Revelation. Lord, because we're trusting in you. We're trusting in you. Our faith and our confidence is in you. And you're the one that controls these things. But Lord, help us to see clearly today that you will triumph in the end, that you will win the battle. And Lord God, we are more than conquerors because our faith and our trust is in you. Lord, we love you. We praise you. Father, I pray that this this study this morning in your word will energize believers. It will whet their appetite for eschatology, for studying Revelation, but for studying all the Bible. Lord, light a passion in our hearts. Help us to be the people of God that seek you with all our heart, all our soul, and all our mind. Because Lord, one day, At the end of this great tribulation, you're coming back as King of kings and Lord of lords to establish your kingdom. And we thank you for that, God. Lord, let that settle our hearts this morning. Let us walk out of here with peace and joy, believing and trusting in you. In Jesus' mighty name I pray. And all God's people said, amen.